Welcome to this week's episode of Eye of the Swarm, your deep dive into anything and everything Yellow Jacket Athletics. I am John Garver, and as always, every week we're joined by the big sound Matt Johnson, our production engineer, Elliot Swery, who still has not said a word on any of these episodes that we have done. And before you graduate, buddy, you're going to say something on one of these shows <laughs> one way or another. I feel like we have to, like, that's kind of a prerequisite. Now. I think it has to yeah, be. Yeah, I think so. It too. has to be. Yeah. I, I, I feel like with all the amount of talking that we do, It'd only be fair if Elliot does it. I mean, how many times does he listen to us between doing this podcast and then board hopping our games? How many times has he had to endure us is a better question. Oh, that's a, yeah, that's a great question. Probably more games than anybody, I think, that we've had games I, slash podcasts. I, I, I mean, I, I was talking to him about this during hockey season because I, I've started to, I, when I realized I was as close to 500 games, um, to 500 men's hockey games as I am. I started doing a little bit of research, and I think he's board opted me more than any other board op I've had. Okay, in the twenty-two years I've been doing this. Okay, I've had a lot of board ops. I, I was trying to think of them all. Yeah, and I, I've lost count at about twenty-five. I've not had that many, but I've had a lot. I mean, and this is going all the way back to Patrick Lilia. Shout out to Patrick, by the way. Um, but started with him basically, and then we kind of. There was a bunch in between there, and I mean, I've had because of the number of sports that I do. Right, I feel like I get more variety in the board ops than you do in a given year. But it'd be hard for me to like chart all of them. Yeah, I'm friends with most of them on Facebook, so I could go back and look. That helps, you know. Yeah, I, I like, know if I tap John Munson on the shoulder, I would, I you know, I could probably get a few that I've missed. Yeah, but I, but I feel I, like I've gotten a pretty good run. Like I, of this current group, I've had them all. Yep. And there's what five of them? How many are there? How many five board ops do we have right now? Four or five? Four. Okay, he's got four. Because um, I had Morgan White at the beginning of the year, too, so that would have been five for the year, I guess. Yep. So I've worked with all of them on more than one occasion. And I don't know how many have you worked with just this year. Just uh, uh, Well, I had Elliot. I had Morgan. I had Adam. Okay. And I think that's it for this year. Okay. Because I've had Elliot, I've had Morgan, I've had Adam, and then I've had the VMAR sisters also. I've had both Molly and also Lakota. So I've had all five this year. Mm-hmm. But that's just this year. I mean, that you'd have to go back, and then I'd have to go back and look. Because, I mean, you go back to Sam Wolf and and some of the other ones that we've had too. Yeah, because, I mean, yeah, you know, you know before, Patrick and, before Elliot, you know, Brady McDonough carried the mail. Yep. You know, before him it was Samantha Wolf. Yep. Before her it was Sarah Brashovsky. Yep. You know, and it's you start to think of some of these names, and you go all the way back to when I first did this in in 1999. And that's a long way. It, it is, and you you start thinking about okay, back then you had Matt Alexander, you had Brian Krieg, you had uh, Bill Chase, you had John Ellis, who is still a very important person in local media, yeah, more on the production side than on the uh, the talent side. But he, you know, he he was a great one. To learn from right out of the right out of the gate, you know, uh, Tom Garrington was in there. Uh, he was Freak Daddy G. That was his DJ name on the network <laughs> that would come up after the broadcast. So he would board up hockey, and then he would go from Tom Garrington into the phone booth, come out as Freak Daddy G, and spend four hours playing music on the network. <laughs> oh wow! Right? Yeah, and that doesn't count like the ones that we had when we were uh, with WEBC there too. A little bit. No, for a little bit. no, this is just strictly. Yeah, the, this is straight. You know, KUWS because we had a few there that we worked with as well. So, right. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy when you go back and think of it that way. And these are the people, by the way, that 
don't get any credit for anything. They really don't. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they don't. I mean, they, you know, and with, they're with, without them. Yeah, they're faceless and uh, they do a lot of work. But without them, we wouldn't be able to get on we the air would or do podcasts. Be so. on the air without them. Yeah. So it, yeah, they're uh, they're an important bunch. And I think what people don't realize is they're students. Yeah, you know, these are college students, and the job they do is, you know, it it can be pressure sometimes it can when be, you, yeah. you can't figure out why. Things are not working. Why you're you're not capturing you know. a broadcast, or why you keep losing it at the top of the hour, or why a, a server isn't allowing you to stream, or why you're only hearing one underwriter seventeen times in a game. I mean, it's there's so many things that that come into play. Well, there's a lot of troubleshooting that goes on because people don't. I don't think necessarily that are not in the broadcast industry don't realize the fact that you and I don't really have any power over anything really other than the quality of our broadcast. Right. That's about it. What we're saying during the game. Once we get on the air and once it's going, that's all there's the one people. person who's in control. And it isn't us. Nope. It's the person that is working with us, our producer that we think at the end of games. Yep. But that's the person that's making sure that everything is running smoothly. Right. And without them, yeah, we don't, we don't accomplish anything. Right. So, um, you know, it's, it's nice to give them a shout out and I'm glad you did because, uh, like you said, they're the people that work behind the scenes, and mm-hmm. um, you know, without them, you know, whatever it is that we do, it doesn't matter. No, <laughs> and not at all. No, that's that's exactly it. So, you know, that's a a long way of saying before all is said and done, Elliot, you are going to offer something besides production value to this podcast. <laughs> I feel like we should just have a roundtable with Elliot. I think just, we should. Just yeah, to talk about all the stupid things he's listened to us say over the years. <laughs> <laughs> we could just we could just like put our heads together and think of all the craziness that we've. <laughs> Between the three of us collectively over the years of uh, kind of witnessed in, in this industry and think about uh, the times that we've had because he's been our lone production engineer now through doing this podcast now for almost two full years. So right. um, not to mention all the games and the fact that he's also the uh, sports director up here. So, right. Uh, Elliot wears a lot of hats and we're certainly certainly thankful to have him. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. You're trying to make him blush to the, on the other side of the glass, but it's not working. No, he's 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 hiding back there with his <laughs> twins hat on, so he's good. Anyway, you, you mentioned craziness and uh, the craziness continues as we still have just about every team on our campus, Sands hockey and basketball and uh, now volleyball competing. And yep. it's a, it was another busy week. And it was. It, but it was a, a, a scheduling anomaly, if you will, because on sun, or Saturday, excuse me, we had, I think, nine teams playing, and none of it was here. No, and it was weird. It was so I utilized the day to rake my entire yard. Yeah, and I know that took you a while, too. It did. It took a number of hours, and on Sunday, I felt like I'd been in a car accident. My my body was sore. Oh, it's amazing how that works you out. Oh, and, uh, and I, I say it every single year, and it's still true. You never know how big your yard is until you have to rake it. Yep. And... I apparently have a fairly large yard because it took a while and I really felt it the next day. And I still have this broken blister between oh. my thumb and my index finger that my son looks at every day and goes, Dada boo boo. Oh, boo-boo. well, at least he knows it hurts. He does. He does. And then he, and then he wants to kiss it. That's make such it a bad spot to get one to. It is because there's really nothing spot. you can do. Yeah. Like, I mean, blisters are never good. No, they're but not. That's fun. a really bad spot between your thumb and your pointer finger. That's yeah. a bad spot to get it. Yeah. And somehow it probably derailed my pitching career too. But, you know, yeah. anyway, yeah, let's, well. uh, let's talk sports here, young man. Because, All right. Let's get uh, to it. Was it. A, it was a busy week. It was. We'll go with women's soccer again since they were our highlighted squad last week in the round table. Not this week, but this last week. Um, they suffered their first loss of 2021. I don't think it was necessarily ever about going undefeated, but it is remarkable um, that they went as far as they did without losing a game. They are now 5-1 and one overall, 5-1 and one in the UMAC as we get into the quick details on the two games they played. 
Um, last week, they split two games. They defeated Minnesota Morris 2-1 to one in Morris on Saturday before suffering their first loss of the campaign last night as we record this on a Thursday against Northwestern 2-1 to one in St. Paul. Against Morris, the Jackets got goals from Anna Schusman and Caitlin Raish. While Morgan Philiber got the winning goal against Northwestern, Nia Wilson scored the Yellow Jackets' lone goal, but then Northwestern, because I watched this game, uh, got a fortunate little bounce at the end of uh, – at the end of that game to get the game-winning goal, it was a, a high ball in the box that Morgan Philiber had in her hands. It slipped out of her hands as she was falling backwards, and it fell right in the lap of a Northwestern player who was standing there and was able to just put it in the back of the net. Uh, and the Jackets lost their first game of the season. Both teams, or both games, were played pretty well, I thought. Um, a little bit slower on the uptick against Northwestern, but they grew into the game, and they, I thought they controlled the game for about a 45- to 50-minute period there. But uh, like I said, they... Suffered their first loss. Still have not been outshot this year in any game. They outshot uh, the Eagles and the Cougars again in those two games. So uh, things still going pretty well on the women's soccer front despite uh, suffering that first loss. Caitlin Raish, by the way, congratulations to the freshman from Hopkins. Named UMAC Offensive Player for the first time in her career while uh, uh, Morgan Philbert was named UMAC Defensive Player of the Week. So both offensive and defensive players of the week. Yep, clean sweep. Uh, Both are the first career honors honors for Raish and Philbert. So congratulations to them. Uh, men's soccer still rolling right along. 6-0, 5-0 in the UMAC. Defeated Minnesota Morris 5-0 on Saturday. Uh, got goals from Miguel Ocampo, Blake Doye, Mason Tinsky, Pontus Tabmark, and also Philip Erickson. And the goal by Ocampo, by the way, was a special goal. I, I, <laughs> I watched it. It was a 35-yard free kick that bounced off the crossbar and off their goaltender and in, and it was the first goal the Yellow Jackets scored. They scored four of those five goals in the In hockey, they half. call that bar down. Yep, bar down was what it was. But the distance, I mean, it was right at 35 yards out, and it was a crazy strike. Unfortunately, the camera angle wasn't the greatest at Morris, but as soon as he hit it, you could hear the clang of the of the bar and then the applause afterward, and I thought, when you hear that sound, that means he's hit it just about perfectly. So Miguel Ocampo, if there's another video of that goal, that's the kind of goal that's goalier. I mean, that was a 35-yard strike. That was Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo-esque when you hit a ball That like is that. some lofty company you put that That's in. That's a 35-yard strike off the bar and in. That's the kind of goals that they score at the professional level. So there was no keeper in the country that could have stopped that shot. Um, so highlight goal for him, but again, four of those five goals come in the second half for the LJ. Because that was their only game last week. Mm-hmm. But they are playing tonight, and we'll talk more about that. As we move along here, softball 11-9 and nine overall, 4-4 four and four in the UMAC. No, they've lost three of their last four. They split with Minnesota Morris on Saturday in Morris, winning game one against the Cougars 8-2 before falling in game two, 4-2. The Jackets also dropped a pair of games to St. Scholastica last night, as we record this again on a Thursday, by identical 6-3 scores over at Kenwood Field in Duluth. Against Morris, Taylor Kramer picked up the pitching win in game one while also going 3-3 three three offensively. To lead the L Jackets in game two, Melania Medill took the pitching loss while the L Jackets managed only five hits in the game. Against St. Glasga, Taylor Kramer pitched a complete game in game one while going three for four offensively. In game two, Melania Medill again pitched a complete game for the L Jackets while Kayla Kramer and Taylor Kramer each had two hits for the Yellow Jackets. And they have a busy couple of days coming up as well as far as on the schedule goes. Baseball. 9-15 and 15 overall, 2-4 and four now in the UMAC. They've lost four games last week, or lost four games last week, I should say. Falling to Bethany Lutheran 4 to nothing and 13-2 to two on Saturday in Mankato before getting swept by Hamlin in a doubleheader 5-4 to four and 19-2 to two yesterday at the MC Spartan Sports Complex. And I know you were there for those last two against the Pipers. Tough day at the office. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's been, uh, you know, it's a 
a stretch that keeps a coach up at night. Yeah. Because you're trying to figure out what's the, the best way to work through this. I mean, it's call a spade a spade. They're in a slump. Yeah. They're yeah. slumping right now, and they're they're having a hard time producing runs. Yeah. You know, and that's been the, the kind of the bulk of the problem. Yeah, right? because the pitching, by and large, you know, you take out uh, you take out the game against Hamlin yesterday. You take out the game two against uh, game Bethany. two against Saint Olaf, uh, game two against Bethany, and probably the the second one against Crown. Yeah, to open the year, you take those ones away, and the pitching has been very, very good. Yeah, kept them in games, giving them a chance. Yeah, yeah. give them a chance to win, and that's. Uh, you know, they just they haven't been able to to find a way to stoke that offense. Yeah, and that's been the problem, which and is it, interesting it, for the Jackets. It reared this year. its head again yesterday. Yeah, yeah, because I think they had ten hits in the two games combined. Yeah, if I remember correctly, that's also what they had against Bethany. Yeah. Against Bethany, they had to combine two hits in two runs in eighteen innings. I mean, that's that's a tough way to go. Yeah, Ryan Cast uh, Ryan Rodriguez. We'll get to Ryan Castaneda in a moment. Ryan Rodriguez took the pitching loss in Game One for UWS against Bethany Lutheran in those two games. On Saturday, while Elliot Danhoff took the loss in in Game Two, Ryan Castaneda had two hits in Game Two, but he was the only Yellow Jacket to have multiple hits in either game. In that, that doubleheader against the Vikings, against Hamlin, Matt Tappy took the loss in Game One as the Pipers scored a single run in the top of the eighth to pull out the win. Ryan Castaneda had a homer and two RBIs at the plate in Game One for UWS. In Game Two, the Pipers scored in every inning from the second through the sixth, including plating ten runs in the third. Jack Barnett took the loss for UWS, and like you said, they're just scuffling right now yep it's just and it's one of those things too where it gets inside your head and you know it's one of those things where you also have to kind of tell them to keep plugging away yep until things start going right and that's that's the the million dollar question in coaching is how do you how do you balance that and how do you work your way through that right and that's that's difficult yep it is men's and women's tennis the men now are seven and three overall three and one in the umac while the women are five and five and three and oh in the umac the men uh swept both bethany or swept i should say Bethany Lutheran Crown and Martin Luther by identical 9-0 scores on Saturday, Sunday, and Wednesday, respectively, while the women defeated Bethany Lutheran 6-3, Crown 9-0, and Martin Luther 8-1 on those same days. Gergo Potsnagy was named UMAC Player of the Week for the first time in his career, so congratulations to him. Men's and women's golf, the men won the UMAC preview for the third time in program history on Tuesday at the Pebble Creek Golf Club in Becker, Minnesota. You almost said Pebble Beach, didn't you? I almost did. (laughs) I almost did, but it's Pebble Creek. Uh, UWS finished with a team score of 303 and was led by Ryan Peterson, who took Mellis honors with a score of 69. Joy Cummings took second with a score of 71. On the women's side, the women, they saw that course twice last week. They did. Actually, three straight days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> women uh, finished 13th at the Battle at the Creek, hosted by Bethel on Saturday and Sunday at the Pebble Creek Golf Club in Becker, before finishing fourth at the UMAC preview on Tuesday at the very same golf course. The Yellow Jackets finished with a team score of 793 at the Battle of, at the Creek. And with a team score of 406 at the UMAC preview. And last but not least, men's and women's track and field. Men finished fourth at the St. John's Invitational. Well, the women placed fifth at the same event. Both those, of course, at Clemens Stadium in Collegeville, Minnesota. The men finished with a team score of 91 and a half points and were led by Tyler Finger, who placed second at 1,500 meters with a time of 14 minutes, 14.36 seconds. In that event, the women finished with a team score of 73, and were led by Nanako Hara and Alexa DiCavedo, who finished second in the 3,000-meter steeplechase. There's that event again. In the 400-meter hurdles, respectively, My Hara— feet just got wet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hara finished with a time of 12 minutes, 50.29 seconds, while DiCavedo finished with a time of 1 minute, 12.40 seconds in that race. So those are the results from last week. Um, 
It's going to be really busy this upcoming You're a Mayak guy. Yeah. You know, you went to St. Olaf, and so you brought up St. John's. Do you ever see a football game there? Yeah, several. It's a pretty special experience, isn't it? It is. It's a very different look um, than you would expect for such a high-profile program. Uh, Clemens Stadium is not state-of-the-art. It might have been redone. I think it has been redone. Uh, when I saw games there, it was still a natural surface, i.e. grass. Right. Now I know it's, it's field turf, and they've put in stands on the far side. Um, but back in the day when I went to see games there. Uh, but you sat I, on the grass, didn't you? Yeah, because they actually have a hillside there. Um, there is a grandstand when you walk in in the press box, of course. But the location of the stadium is like basically perfection. Uh, St. John's campus is basically kind of doubles as a nature preserve. For those of you who do not know, um, St. John's, the institution, has, has put a lot of effort into maintaining the natural beauty of that area. And the campus is picturesque to say the least but Clemens Stadium is really unique because when you walk into it um, it's into a hillside and on that hill they actually have or they used to have uh, the ability to sit on a grass hill and watch the game and there was the grass hill went all the way around the stadium along with the grandstand and if you weren't sitting in the grandstand which most people didn't want to because of that that you know availability I guess you would say of having that uh, grassy hillside to sit on um, if you you know got the chance to sit on that hillside and watch a football game it was really unique. Like you just don't see it very often. And I would you know I would definitely advise anybody who wants to see a really unique D three facility go and see Clemens Stadium because it really is something. Yeah, I, I never have. It's a but it's a bucket bucket list thing for me. Okay, because I, I would like to see a game there just because it is such a, a unique and special experience. It is, and it's it's surrounded by woods. The entire stadium is so you're basically having a nature preserve surrounding the stadium which is very very cool um it's just a look that you don't see real often sure. you know when it comes to whether it's a d3 d2 or even d1 facility you just don't get that kind of natural backdrop mm-hmm. i mean the scoreboard literally there are two sets of it's like forested trees behind the scoreboard you know on the left and right uh, i think the the st john's is like um campus library is on the top of the hill back behind the scoreboard so you can actually see the the uh, campus library behind there but um yeah i mean it it seats probably i'm guessing five to ten thousand people probably by now uh they put a very large grandstand across the way when you first walk in back in the old days they didn't have that there was there were stands there but they didn't have a big grandstand now they do yeah um but uh yeah it's i definitely would recommend it yeah you know if you get a chance to go and watch st john's play a home game there it's it's something. Mm-hmm. I mean, even when the Johnnies take the field and everything, it's a very, it's it's. There's a reason why you know SI and and uh, ESPN and some others have come to feature Clemens Stadium and right. St. John's football, and it's some of that was the Gallardi thing, right? Yeah, you know the the mystique, I guess, surrounding right, John Gallardi yeah. and his his coaching career, the longevity of it, right, the philosophy yeah. of it, right? You know, I I don't know if people have been familiar with his coaching by the nose. And not your nose, but N-O. Right. And, uh, you know, nobody gets cut, no tackling in practice. He has this list of no right. that he, he coached by. And it's very unique. When it is. When you consider the, the fire and brimstone of football, right. it is the antithesis of all of that. He was always a guy who was very soft-spoken and gentlemanly. In the way that he conducted himself, and his players were the same way. Right, you weren't going to see any kind of. Um, there wasn't anything about them that would make you dislike them, other than the fact that they beat you. Yep, they were never in your face. 
they never excessively celebrated anything. Um, and it, everything about it, sort of about the program, the stadium, everything, is, it has a very humble kind of feel to it. Um, the fact also that Collegeville is, while it is close to St. Cloud, it's separate. Yep. It's about a you know 10-mile drive, I guess, from St. Cloud to St. Collegeville. Yep. So it's a very kind of – people from St. Cloud obviously come to the games and stuff like that. That's where most of the people come from. Um, but um, because I think of that kind of separate but close kind of feeling, St. John's has been able to maintain sort of that distance a little bit from St. Cloud as a whole. Yep. And it's it, it kind of makes it a very unique – atmosphere where you're going to have um you know a lot of people coming in the alums are very i think uh involved in yeah um yeah i mean it's i i definitely would put it up there as a d3 bucket list item yeah clemens stadium is definitely a a a a must i think for those of you who are out there that might be huge d3 fans also a must the uh round table segment of this week's out of the swarm that is coming up as we are going to have an opportunity to catch up with Head coach Melissa Fracker from the Yellow Jacket softball team, as well as senior Olivia Bancroft Hart. Um, we've had Melissa on once. It was a wonderful conversation. Yeah, it really was. And uh, that was kind of the f- one of the first ones where we rabbit holed a little bit and, right, yeah. and and got away from the sports talk a little bit. So looking forward to that second segment, and that one is going to be coming up next as you are listening to I Have the Swarm. Can I borrow the sports page? Are we sure we're ready for this expansion? Of course we're ready for it. It's a great idea. Let's celebrate with a vacation. (laughs) I'm thinking Hawaii. (laughs) We're ready for you. Is it okay if my friend comes with? Of course. Imagination's always welcome here. Bring us your best ideas. Let's see how we can help. National Bank of Commerce. Imagination's welcome. We're back on the roundtable segment of this week's Eye of the Swarm, and we are joined by Melissa Fracker, the head softball coach at UW-Superior, along with Olivia Bancroft-Hart, a senior on this year's team. And, you know, we uh, I really wish we would have just started the segment and then run what we just talked about for the last 40 minutes because that was gold. That I was think that audio was... gold, and there's nothing we can say or talk about right now that can top what we just did. No, we could just, like, riff. That's basically how that <laughs> happened. I, I don't know, you know, I mean, how many topics did we cover this now? Before <laughs> we even start recording this. It was I don't fun. know. I mean, Elliot's... He, Coach, how many did you count? I mean, You're supposed to be keeping track in there, man. Elliot's just smiling. He doesn't even know. <laughs> it's probably, what, 10, 15 topics? We, I don't know. We, what was it? We covered a lot of things. So. All important stuff. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, this is all stuff that, you know, as Frank Poofall said, goes down the rabbit hole. <laughs> and he's requested goes down the rabbit hole. He's but we've definitely went down more the rabbit, rabbit holes hole. and less baseball from in future editions of this. So, so uh, you, yeah, baseball guys be ready. He'd be but. really offended if we actually just published all of the riffing that we just did instead of talking softball. Frank would be upset with us. He would be. He would be. He would he look would at us and go, wait a second here. How come she got that and I didn't? Yeah. Why are we talking shop all the time? Why don't we just talk? Exactly. Yeah, My that's what he wanted. Crime there. All that being said, though, Matt, you know, two years of doing this, she is the first coach that when I approached her and said, can you do the podcast with us, did the, oh, is it my turn already? <laughs> was that the first time or the second <laughs> that time? That was the second time. That was for this one. 
You there's got to be somebody already. else who can go on. I just didn't want to take anybody else's spot because there's everyone has very interesting things to say, and it's everyone should have a fair share of hearing from everybody. So, well, our, our roundtables have been a little bit more towards the um, let's just open up the floor and kind of talk more than anything else. I mean, I think the first time that we talked to you, you had just been hired practically, so it was like a I think very it was much Octoberish. Yeah, I, I mean, right, it was last so, year yeah. at the end of last year, and it was not even that closely in the last yeah. year. Like it was. You know, you know, like I said, October, November, somewhere mm-hmm. in there, and uh, so that was more of a meet and greet. This is more of a. You We've know. had twelve episodes since then, so <laughs> yeah. So welcome back. Thank you. It was actually <laughs> the day after Liv, just so you know, our first scrimmage. So that was like the very first one, and here we are, kind of getting towards the end of our first season. So it's it's amazing how it comes back around, but. You know, I just I just want to make sure everybody gets on, and I know that I have a blast with you guys, but it's only fair that everyone gets to, you know, speak as well. So, well, that's good because that's what we want, though. I mean, the whole point is it's cool because now that as this podcast is getting a little bit more popular, not to toot our our own horn too it's much, getting, it's getting popular. It's getting popular. <laughs> it's getting more more and more popular. I get people to come up and Where? ask if they can be Who? on the on the podcast. Who are like, these people? See, so yeah. I don't want to take you know people yeah. have heard from me. So there's all these interesting people, and I love obviously from our previous 45 minutes just talking and <laughs> talking and talking, and I'm all for it. But that's cool. Well, I mean, I think Olivia is doing the same thing that some of the other like student athletes have done, which is kind of she's watching this in amazement. <laughs> At a certain point, I mean, just I'm sitting across from her right now in this round table, and she's kind of, I just tell by the look on her face. Well, she's that, got that whole, you know, yeah, this it, confirms that you two aren't right. Pretty much. I mean, it's, we've never been right, no. though. We've never claimed to be right. And she already knew that about me, so it's perfect. So it's, she knew what to I didn't expect include you coming in. That, in. Though. I was just including the two of and us. And I'm just here. jumping in, and at but least she kind of gets it from me. Absolutely. I'm right in the middle of it. We're all just a bunch jumping of goofballs. <laughs> I mean, it's just. Coach DeGroat in soccer, she has a, a phrase that apparently that spreads around the team that's called embrace the weird. Well, I'm telling you to embrace the weird here because this is just weird. I, and I, especially for a student athlete, to probably be asked to come and be part of a roundtable. But that's why we do it, <laughs> to be honest well, with it's, you. It's probably a bit uncomfortable, isn't it? Or, do, you, or do, you, do we put you at ease right away with? I definitely think, like, you did put me at ease talking about all these different topics. <laughs> um, I had no idea, like, what questions you were going to ask, what I was going to have to say. So just coming in here and being thrown into different conversations. Being forced to talk about overplayed music and the 86 Mets. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I mean. I mean, we should go down the checklist of things that we talked about before we started even recorded in this segment. And people would not be believe, uh, like believe what we just talked about. No. I mean, this is, you know, this is why Elliot has the best job in the world. He never has to say anything, and he just listens to us babble. And when he's had enough and he's going to have a parting shot on us, all of a sudden this is going to show out or show up out there and – the cyber world yeah. and people are going to be able to illegally download it. And, uh, yes, <laughs> another topic downloads. we discussed. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Nailed that one too. I feel like at a certain point we're eventually going to have to have a B-roll episode where we're going to have. That'll to... be like an anniversary episode. I yeah, think. I think yeah, that'll be so, like yeah. Okay. Well, we'll have when to we go get back to like and... episode one hundred. Yeah, Elliot will have to go back through all the B-roll. Elliot won't be then... here anymore when we get to episode one hundred. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, that's going to be gold, I think. <laughs> the way we're already going, we're only in our second year and already <laughs> we've gotten to this point. You know, uh, it's uh, – but, wow. I mean, but that's, again, why we do them. Uh, you know, sometimes it's nice to step outside the sport and just get a chance to talk to the student athletes and the, and the coaches as people. Mm-hmm. You know, getting them away from, 
you know, everything. That's why Frank wanted us to talk more about things that didn't have anything to do with baseball. <laughs> because we talk baseball all the time. Let's talk about something else. Like, and it's it's kind of what makes the podcast cool, though, is there there really isn't a format for it. I mean, we do have a a rough format that we follow for this show, but it's not. Yeah, it's a loose outline. Yeah, it's a loose outline. I mean, we we obviously are focused on UWS athletics and and uh, the things that are going on and the students and the and the athlete and the coaches and the other athletes and the other sports and everything like that. But at the end of the day, we want it to be kind of a, a community effort and kind of a community show. And, and there's always room for the '86 Mets. There's always room for the '86 <laughs> Mets. Yeah, there you go. Because they're definitely part of the community. <laughs> Or maybe not, but you know that's that's why we do the roundtable portion. Though and we talked about it last year, doing these was that was what we wanted to really accomplish with this more than anything else. Instead of just having the two of us almost feel like an interrogation of one person, where we just go back and forth asking. Is that what the first one was like? An interrogation? Did you feel like, did you feel like everything yeah. except for the bare bulb dangling above your head? Uh, no, I mean because we did a great like the quick questions, which was fun. And, and so, and same thing, like we kind of riffed ahead of time. So it much more comfortable and got a little more talking about the sports, but I love listening to the episodes because it's hard right now, especially, you know, getting here in July and trying to get a relationship with different coaches to really get to know them outside of the office. So getting to listen to them and hear what they talk about and just their different personalities has actually been really fun for me. So I enjoy listening to the other episodes and exactly what you said, that getting to hear other people's personalities and kind of what they talk about and stuff. So I agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what makes it cool. I think tennis got us off to a really good start. In that regard, yeah, that was pretty solid. We we were able to mix <clears throat> tennis questions with you know the like it kind of came up in the in the flow of the conversation. I guess was the the questions about tennis and how. So you, how are we going to mix softball questions into the conversation about the '86 Mets? <laughs> Ooh. How many similarities are there with a Yankee <laughs> fan? <laughs> We're a split family, though. I have two Mets fans and two Yankee fans in my house. So the okay. ones born before. 86 are Mets fans. The one born in the 90s are all Yankee fans. So okay. you can kind of see where the franchises were and kind of where people went. I feel like so. you got some front runners in the house then. I mean, you're not wrong. Technically, we are closest to New York. People think, you know, if you're in New England, you're a Red Sox fan. But I was always much closer to Shea Stadium and Yankee Stadium. Well, So, so here's a question, then, and it goes along the lines of baseball and, and your background in softball. Mm-hmm. How tough was the Subway Series for your family then? Um, we usually try to go and get tickets like every time they play, which is fun. Um, but that year, 2000, yeah, it was, it was interesting for sure. I bet. I mean, there was, there's some extra stuff that went along with that series. I'm sure Olivia, unfortunately she was only two at the time, so she doesn't know the full story on it. But between the bat throwing incident and (laughs) everything else with Roger Clemens and Mike Piazza and everything else that went along with it. yeah. And my dad was a hardcore Piazza fan so like it was I mean Hernandez and then like Piazza are like his guys so like anything Keith says and anything Mike does is okay so like when that happened on TV I definitely heard some language that I had not heard up to that point yet um, and have not heard since so they just messed with the wrong player. I, I will house. say this that when he tossed that bat at Mike Piazza walking up the first baseline I thought whoa like I did I thought it was the ball yeah. <laughs> he thought it was the ball. Yeah. The ball morphed from a little sphere into a bat. A splintered bat. You know? Yeah. Strange, right? How that works. I'll give Olivia the background because she's not quite understanding what it is. She's dying over here. She's in my head and I'm just... Okay. So you know who Roger Clemens is? 
No. Okay, he's a Hall of Fame pitcher that retired many he years. He's not in the Hall of Fame. He's not in the Hall of Fame. He should be, but he's not. Mike Piazza well, he was... He made some questionable choices when did. it came to his training. And did he it, did. And he got himself into trouble for continued it. Continued on to Twitter with questionable decisions. Yes, so. he did. <laughs> Mike Piazza was a well-beloved, however, catcher. And did he make it to the Hall of Fame? I don't even know if he's in. Is he? I believe he is. Is he? I, I think he, he might be. Yeah. It's not for his defensive prowess behind no, the plate. No, he was plate. a great hitting catcher. He could he hit. He could really hit the ball. And the Yankees and the Mets were the two best teams, respectively, in the National and American Leagues that year in 2000. And everybody kind of anticipated this might be the Subway Series, where they both meet each other in the World Series for the first time ever, and that's exactly what happened. But Mike Piazza and Roger Clemens had this sort of very unfriendly relationship, I would, I would say. put it. Um, Roger Clemens had this reputation for throwing at Mike Piazza. He had hit him a few times. And then and he, he, it's what not like he was World throwing change-ups at you either. I mean, he was right, hitting right. almost 100 on the radar. Yeah, game. he was throwing some serious heat. And what game was it that that happened? I'm not 100% sure. It went six games. Okay. Did it go six? It was at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, it was yeah. at Yankee Stadium. So, when it happened. N- three or four maybe. I could be completely wrong. So... I, I apologize. I'm a little embarrassed by my Yankee history right now. I know. I'm so embarrassed right now by my Yankee history. <laughs> but it was. I think it was either three or four. Okay, yeah. It was It was not game one or the last game. I can tell one of her cats it was, was not right in the middle Clemens, of the series. I can tell you that. Well, yeah. Okay, so anyway. He was a Red Sox, so absolutely not. <laughs> he, he came inside. Roger Clemens was pitching, and Mike Piazza was hitting. And the pitch came inside and kind of jammed him, and he swung, and his bat shattered. And the ball I, – I don't even know where the ball went. Where did the ball go? I don't <laughs> – Telling you, it turned into a bat, <laughs> and the barrel of the bat ends up at the pitcher's mound. The barrel of the bat snapped the, and it came back to the pitcher's mound, and Roger Clemens scooped it up as Mike Piazza was running to first base, and looked like he literally threw the splintered bat at Mike Piazza as he's running up the first baseline. Like he picked it and chucked it right in the path of Mike Piazza, who stopped and went, "Whoa, you're throwing a and jagged kind piece of, of wood." Still at has me. the handle of the bat and is kind of walking at him. Yeah. And Roger Clemens does the, I thought it was the ball, and I said, so you were going to chuck the ball at him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was literally, and it was not a, a, a passive throw. Of, like, he stared right at Piazza as he threw this, as if to accuse Mike Piazza of splintering his bat on purpose and hitting <laughs> this ground ball. Somewhere. <laughs> yeah, and the crowd, yeah, some, we didn't, we, where the actual no ball went, nobody ball remembers. <laughs> Because it all got I'm overshadowed. Assuming it was a roller to third or something, and they made the play behind him while yeah, the theatrics exactly. were happening. Well, because all of a sudden, as it was the pitch, you know, because usually they, when they make contact, of course, they go to the wide shot so you can see the play. That didn't happen this time. They went, they kept it at home plate because the play didn't matter. Now Mike Piazza is literally walking up and look, staring right out the mound at Roger Clemens, and Clemens is staring right back at him, and they're like, <laughs> they're staring each other down. In this case, and did the dugouts empty? I can't remember. Did they? I don't think they did. Yeah, I don't think so. I okay. think it got dissipated pretty fast. If but I'm it became a big talking yeah, point. Yeah, but it definitely did. Became yeah. a huge talking point. And, yeah, like I said, you don't mess with Mike in my, in my growing up in the house. And But it always seemed like no matter how good the Yankees were, like the Mets, no matter how miserable they were doing, somehow beat them every Year and that's all my older brother and my dad ever wanted was for bragging rights. Yes, and they just it did not. They could have only won three games against the Yankees all year, and to them, they won the World Series. That's all yeah. they needed, and it was so frustrating. Well, it's like it, the Viking fans, who are yeah. you can go two and fourteen, but just beat the Packers twice. Yeah, that's yeah. it, right? It's like that. Just 
Well, and, and, it's, and it's the fact that this was the World like Series uh, magnified it, and mm-hmm. it became this big thing. You can still look it up. Um, I mean, the video is still there, and you can still hear like Joe Buck and whoa, <laughs> like because they stopped because Mike Piazza was also, and he stopped, and he, they turned, they looked at each other, and then they they exchanged words a little bit, and it was like, and then the the issue became was Roger Clemens trying to take him out with the splintered bat because he, I mean, it was not a pick it up and run it like he flat out just like threw it into the path of Mike Piazza. As like I said, as if to say accusatory, you know, toward. So if anybody saws off your bat, <laughs> yeah, and throws it at me, and it goes back to the pitcher's circle, be ready. <laughs> it's yeah. on. That means right. it's on. They're aluminum shards everywhere, and they end up just, you know. <laughs> but it was it. I remember at the time because I was I was I think a senior in college when that happened, and I was like, whoa. I don't. What was your reaction to it, John? I mean, you. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And no, it was one of the. You look at your buddy and go, "Did he just throw the bat at him?" Yeah. And then the whole, I thought it was the ball. Okay, so he was intending to throw the ball <laughs> Yeah, no, it's not dodgeball. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. Which I mean, it's that? not like Rob Dibble picking up that grounder, running up the first baseline, and then pegging a guy in the back with it. <laughs> like he did after, after a bunt against the Cubs. That was fantastic. <laughs> Rob Dibble was another one. But this that was that generation, though, I felt like. They were very, like, because Rob Dibble was right in that generation. Because I watched that play alive, too. Because Rob Dibble, Rob Dibble was a, a smoke-throwing reliever. He threw about 101, 102 miles an hour. He threw a ball out of the stadium once, wow. over the center field fence. Impressive. Yeah. <laughs> and there was they were playing the Cubs, and one of the Cubs bunted the ball up the first baseline, and Dibble was so angry by that that he came off of the mound, ran over to the ball, picked it up, ran to the first baseline, got in line, and turned and chucked it at the guy's back and hit him right in the back. Right in the numbers. Yeah, and he went down, and that created a huge incident because then the benches did empty. Everybody came out, and Dibble was known to have some. Well, he was one of the nasty boys. Yeah, he, that's what those guys were called. Him and Norm Charlton. Yep. Yeah, and Randy Myers. Yeah, I mean, former met Randy Myers. Keeps so. coming back. Eighty-six <laughs> Mets, full circle. <laughs> we're going back and back. But uh, I remember watching that one live, and it was the same thing. It's like, what is he doing? He's mad at this guy, so he's going to just pick up the ball and chuck it at him. It's <laughs> Like, don't you dare bunt against me ever again. <laughs> and growing up watching baseball and then getting into softball, it's amazing, like, just the difference. And obviously baseball's way different now, but just because I named my cat after Paul O'Neill, and I say Paul O'Neill was, like, my spirit animal. Like, he got mad, and he, like, bashed into the Gatorade, right? Like, he took his bat, and he just destroyed it. And obviously, that's not okay to do, and that's not what anybody should do. But, like, then I'm like, wow, he's pumped up. He cares. Like, that's how he shows he cares. And then, like, when you start playing sports as a kid, and, like, you yell and you get upset, like, uh, no, 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 no. Like, he's a professional athlete. You don't act that way. It's like, okay, sorry. Well, it's like... Hal McCray throwing that telephone around the room in Kansas City. It's it's on one of those highlight reels where they talk about the worst moments for coaches or managers and like where they lose their temper. I mean, they were literally in Hal McCray's office. He was the manager of the Kansas City Royals at the time, and he literally like eventually like he was calm, and then all of a sudden he just lost his mind. He picked up a telephone and threw it around the room, and all the reporters scattered. Like, what would was, be your moment as a coach? That would end up on the highlight reel. Mm, yeah, I don't know, <laughs> Liv. Do you got something? See, you can't do the dirt because we play on turf. No, so but you can kick those pellets around. I was going to say, would, the pellets, the, would say. the pellets have the same effect that I'm looking for? It might take a while to, like, get them onto the plate. It might be way too dragged out. So, I don't know. I don't get too fired up. Maybe a dropping of a clipboard. I mean, nothing, like, hopefully out that anybody sees. That's Did usually the goal, it? right? Hard. 
I mean, you know, I, I don't want to snap wanna... it across your knee. Oh, it's Come a on, pretty, God. it's a pretty thick. That's one. a Rich McKenna so. move. Yeah, he went through a couple clipboard. clipboards in his first yeah. year. See, I purposely don't have a wood one or a plastic. Like mine has many layers to it, so that's not even possible. So it's a much she easier does. Thing. She's very angry, and everyone better run. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what's your you like? What, that what tack thing. do you take with the umpires? Though, let me ask you that because it seems like, like I've watched some of your games, yeah. and I obviously have, I've broadcast a couple of your games. Yeah. It just seems like a very like measured conversation for the most part, but I mean, is that the tack that you take for the most part? I think you have to. I mean, does it ever help getting out there and like yelling at them? Has that ever gotten anyone anywhere? I don't know. And I think it's the old catcher in me that you get way further like having that conversation instead of like getting out there and like telling them how terrible they're doing because I still need them. Like the first game, if they're doing a tough job, well, guess what? The umpire in the field's coming right behind the plate, and I have to deal with his strike zone. So you suffer through 14 innings and then probably a few more games with them too. So I don't really see the point in going at them, um, but definitely having conversations to let them know that I think they're wrong because then what umpires do a lot is kind of give you a makeup call and try to like even it out. So I at least want our makeup call. Like I will take that at the very least. And I definitely have moments as towards the end or something like that. Or Close all I thing. ask for is consistency, yeah. right? Like just if you have a big strike zone, fine. If you have a small strike zone, fine. But consistency and understanding the rules. Well, like Liv, how do you handle a tough strike zone? Like one that you can't quite figure out? Because it seems like to me, a lot of times when I'm broadcasting, and there have been times where me and John have had this both in baseball and softball, well, you can't really figure out the strike zone. I mean, there are times where we look at each other like, really? Now that's a strike? That wasn't a strike like three pitches ago. Like, I, I, I mean, is the it next tough? pitch, and it's like, well, that's the exact same pitch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What did it miss? A millimeter to this side or to that side? Or, like, is it a millimeter too high? I mean, it's exactly almost in the exact same place, and they won't call it. Is that hard for a batter, too? I mean, how frustrated do you get as a batter when that happens? I mean, it is hard. And, like, obviously I play center field, so I get to see, like, the strike zone just from – like zoomed out a little bit and so I do see like they're in consistent calls where it's like whoa like that was a strike last time now it's a ball or that was a ball and now it's a strike so like what what are we calling here but it's frustrating as a batter because you like get up there and the first pitch is a ball and then the second one it's like okay now that's a strike but that's in the exact exact same spot like and so, I don't know, it's it's hard because you don't know what to swing at then. Because you're yeah. like, well, is it a ball this time or is it a strike this time? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel like some umpires are better than ours, obviously, as far as, like, where their zone is and it's reliable, you know where it's going to be. But, man, it seems like it moves around a lot. And I don't – and that's just my opinion as a broadcaster. I mean, John, though, is in the press box with me, and usually we agree on it. It's usually we look at each other like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The zone is moving all of a sudden. Like – the first two innings, it wasn't there. Now it's moved this way to the left. Now it's back inside. You know, I mean, it's just very hard to tell, and that's got to be just disconcerting. It would be for me as a player. I can tell you that. Yeah, and I try not to react too much to it because to me, and I have no idea, and I could be completely wrong. Liv can answer it, but I always try not to react off my coach as a player, but, like, you feel their emotions. So if they're getting upset over the strike zone, now I will start getting upset over the strike zone. So I don't want to – make us start like getting off kilter over something that unfortunately we have no control over so like we're stuck like it is so let's be aggressive and like if it's near the zone let's go for it so i try not to react because just like when it's cold and if the coach is sitting there saying it's cold well now everyone can complain about it right coach says it's cold so it is cold the strike zone like coach is saying it's bad so it is bad like 
unfortunately can't control those things. Right. So like we just need to keep playing through it. And so I try not to react, but you know, I only, I'm only five two, so I only have so much room to take. Like I'm not tall enough to be able to handle like <laughs> after a while, um, just the frustration. So. Well, does that also extend to your pitching staff too? I mean, do you talk to your pitchers about where the zone may or may not be depending on who the umpire is? Um, I don't know the umpires as well up here to be able to do that yet. Um, in Connecticut, for sure, like you get the same umpires. You're like, okay, he's going to call the outside corner. We are going to take advantage of that. Okay. Um, and you kind of react as you go. So yesterday we had an umpire giving like a ball off the plate, yeah. um, which is Whoa. fine. Exactly. He did it consistently, though. Both sides 100% fine with that. So, okay, when we call an outside pitch, that's where we want that ball to be. We don't want it on the corner if he's going to give us off the corner. Okay. Um, so it's just no that and then if he's going to extend his strike zone we need to make sure that our in and out are on the corners of his strike zone not the plate his strike zone and same thing up and down so okay. well it's, it's like the biggest thing that me and job notice is that the outside corner changes quite a bit mm-hmm. that's the one it's not so much even the inside corner so <laughs> like i mean inside corner a lot of pitchers won't go there most pitchers try to live on the outside corner i've i've found uh both in baseball and softball we went there a lot yesterday well, they, yeah <laughs> inside corner. Well, well inside. We plunked nine guys. Yeah, that's that's going past the inside corner. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, when the outside corner changes, it feels like it really messes up pitchers a lot because they want to live on that black on the outside. And if they're not getting that call, then, it, like, it gets tougher. And as a former catcher and pitcher myself, I used to get most frustrated when I was pitching when that would happen because it's like I just threw that pitch a minute ago and I was just saying, you know, and you now you're not calling it on me. So that's got to be tough to try to make sure that your pitchers stay in it no matter what. Even if they don't get a call, it's just like, ugh. It Especially is. if there's two or three pitches in a row that go to that spot. He calls one of them, then he doesn't call the next two, and it's like. You know, for sure, and they're out there working. Yeah. like, And they expect when they're working that someone is doing what they're supposed to be doing, and that doesn't always happen. So how do we, like, continue to bounce back? And, you know, it's it's game to game, and the frustration's real, and it's okay, but it's responding to that and right. not letting it affect us and just keep plugging away. And we have to have both sides of the plate, right? So even if he's not calling it, then we need to make it pretty enough so that they're going to swing at it because there's no way we can live on one corner. How easy is it to hit one side of the plate? Right. Um, so it's just plugging away, plugging away, plugging away, and hopefully it opens up eventually, and I find that it normally does. The, you know, if they're not calling it at first, by, like you said, it changes every inning. So third and fourth inning, all of a sudden it's a strike. So you can't just give up on it. you got to keep right. working at it. So. Yeah. Have you noticed the difference between the, the east and the west? Or I guess it wouldn't even be the west here. It would be central. Um, and I ask that because coming from the hockey side of the world, there, there's east-west, and they are two distinctly different styles of play and they are officiated very differently. And essentially, it's much more physical in the West. And you get more penalties called in the West, and when a Western team goes and plays out East, get ready for the parade to the penalty box, because that's what's going to happen. So have you seen a difference? Um, at all, or is it pretty straight up? It's pretty straight up. Uh, and I think Frank and I were having this conversation, which was interesting, just about like how the conferences are. And I kind of you know, told him the conferences are really similar to like there's a lot of conferences, very academic, some very like athletic driven, and that's kind of the same everywhere. But I think softball is such a tight net community and we all go to Florida, right? And we all go to like the National Coaches Convention and all kind of watch nationally, you know, teams play. So it seems really similar so far from what I'm kind of getting. So Okay. I was just curious. 
Yeah. I, mean, I, I think it's something that may be exclusive to hockey. Um, it happens in basketball, too. Okay. You're going to see a lot of things change, even at the high school level, even. If you go to Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Iowa, for instance, the way that they call a game is going to be different. And so you have to adjust to what they're going to call a foul and what they're not. Um, so I can see that definitely happening because um, some leagues are in some states at the high school level and some leagues are more physical than others. Um, uh, you know, for instance, the Wyack in, bat- or in basketball back in the day was pretty physical, a pretty physical league. The Mayak is a little bit less so. It's a little bit more finesse. Um, and when it got to the national playoffs, it's interesting to see the teams from different conferences, how they adjusted to a national tournament where all these teams are thrown in the same bin. And now you're playing each other maybe, you know, for the first time that year. And maybe you've got officials that you haven't seen all year. So it completely changes the way that you approach the, the game. And so I can please see where you're going with that, John. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's a, that's a valid question to me. It might be just a case in baseball and softball of just where the strike zone is, mm-hmm. whether they keep it lower or higher or wherever they, you know, yeah. is it letters, you know, it's a belt or is it belt and below to the knees? You know, just little things like that. I mean, I don't know mm-hmm. what the differences are, but. Yeah, and that could be because those are more physical sports, so it's more subjective a little bit, right? And ours, I mean, technically there's a textbook definition of a strike zone. It doesn't mean that's what it is, but, like, right. there is, like, a defined strike zone that this is what it should be, and the foul lines are the same. And I find it more changes strategy-wise from coach to coach and kind of what they harp on, but every coach you play kind of has a different strategy that they think this is important or they love the bun or they love the steal and kind of – Every team changes more that way rather than the physicality right. because you can only be so physical, I think, in you know baseball and softball. It's not like you can throw a wooden bat at somebody. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, <laughs> that was a, an isolated case. But uh, even in the major leagues and in and, and softball and baseball, I don't see a lot of letter call strikes. Like technically that's in the zone, and mm-hmm. a lot of times they're going to call that high. And that's, you know, usually it's belt and below. It's usually between the belt and the knees is what I found. And I don't know if you found that to be the case as well, but that seems to be like where they, as far as the height of where they're going to call strikes seems to be. Yeah, it, it just depends on, I mean, I find low is usually about the same, but then high changes yeah. an awful lot in what they consider to be a strike up. And uh, we just try to figure it out the first yeah. inning and see what they're calling, what they're not calling. Do we need to, you know, change our strategy and, Again, I think that's the same everywhere, that umpires just have different views on the ball and they kind of have their own idea of what's a strike and what's not. And we, unfortunately, just have to live with that and make it work somehow. So, Would you be in favor of the computerized strike zone? I don't. So how would that work with height, though? Right? So, like, Aaron Judge, for example, you see he gets called so many strikes. They're, like, below his knee just because he's so tall. So yeah. I'm interested to know, and I think they started in the minor leagues, yeah. um, how that kind of went for different heights and how it adjusts. But I also, you know, it, there's an art and a strategy to it too, right? And if you take out a human from it, I, I don't know. It's I guess it could work, right? But I just am interested to know more about how – Height-wise, plate-wise, like understanding spin and is it where the catcher catches it? Is it where it crosses the plate? Like how does a robot kind of the know all those things? Yeah, the framing. Yeah. Like I I don't know. There's a lot that I feel like you take away from the art of a catcher if you give a computer back there. Like really now you don't have to frame. Like you're just there to catch the ball. And like a good catcher like can get those strikes, right? And like they should work for those strikes and – yeah, it just takes away the fun, I think, of being a catcher a little bit. 
Olivia, I got a question for you in, in terms of this conversation that we're having right now. Like, do you notice trends in umpires as to, like, do you identify umpires and knowing where their zone's going to be? Or do you just sort of take that first at bat and say, well, let's see what he's calling today? I mean, what, what's your approach in that first at bat, depending upon what the situation is? Hmm. I don't know. I'm more of like a, I like to swing at the first pitch. So I don't really, like, I don't really give the, uh, umpire time or myself time to establish the strike zone. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Like, Doesn't buy into that whole top of the order hitter. I'm going to work the count a little bit and make <laughs> well, sure my teammates can see it's everything. Okay. Uh-uh. She's, she's the two batter. I'm swinging. So it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, she's not the leadoff hitter. So she's the two oh, She was three yesterday. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But like normally the first pitch is the best one. And so I want that because I don't want the junk. Like, right. Yeah. I, I want the one right down the middle, right? Like, had the bell, you know, just... Well, they're trying to get, just get ahead in the count. Yeah, yeah, that's what I want. To get me over, like, first strike. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, you, I, I think you see that more often now. Um, especially in softball, you see a lot of first pitch swings, I think, nowadays. Instead of taking that pitch. Because back in the old days, if you gave that pitcher that first, like, strike, they basically, like, done. with a dominant pitcher, it was done. I mean, they were going to take you yeah. apart. And now it's a little bit more of the strategy has changed as a result of that. And we talked about that with you as well, I think, when we first ha- you know, had you on the show, was the fact that softball has changed so much in that regard. Because mm-hmm. it used to be that you would have one stud pitcher, and that's all you needed. And if you had a competent batting order, you were probably going to win a lot of games. Well, you roll that arm out every game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And she would just pitch it to victory every single time. Now you got to have an actual staff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because how many – I mean, you've got, what, four pitchers on your roster four right now? Four pitchers, yeah. Yeah, so – and some that pitched in high school are in like 12U that just in case they're ready to go. So. Right, yeah. But, I mean, you know, you have more of that kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, instead of having that one arm that you knew was going to go in there and pitch six or seven innings every game, now you've got, well, we got matchups and we've got some different styles of pitching now. We've got maybe a power pitcher. We've got one that lives on the corners. We've got one that throws a lot of off speed. Mm-hmm. The spins are up, you know, whatever. So it's a very much more kind of tactical style now of pitching than it used to be. Yeah, and, you know, Liv is a good example why, right? She's hitting just about 400, and she's a lefty that can slap, bunt, and swing. So really that's why, because players like her that are just aggressive and make contact constantly, you can roll out whoever you want, but her – her strikeout rate is so low. So, like, that to me is more where softball is moving that we have contact hitters. Like, and people are not taking those huge loopy swings anymore. They're interested in putting the ball in play. So no matter what kind of power you have, you have to have a defense behind you. And if you have hitters that can battle, you're only going to throw so many pitches. Um, So it's just less, I feel like, powering through things. And there's smarter hitters and hitters that, you know, choke up and shorten their swing up and just battle through things. So I've seen that here, though. I mean, you go back 5, 10, 15 years, we had some power hitters. Oh, yeah. And, you know, big time. Yeah. And you – we haven't had one of those, you know, you haven't had a, a Sarah Tara Savage in a right, long so, yeah. time. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's what I was you thinking know, of Who leads well. the conference in triples and home runs. Right. You know, and is an All-American. You don't, you, don't, you don't see that kind of power really from anybody anymore, it seems like. And to me, when you're looking at a scout, like those are the ones you're circling and you're being really careful too. Like I don't want to be beat by someone I know is a good hitter. I'd rather have someone else like beat me. Not that you want to be beat at all, obviously, right. but if I'm looking at paper and she has – 20 home runs, 
20 triples, you know, this, that, the next thing. We're game planning specifically for her. And I'm pitching around her, and I'll walk her if I have to. Um, yesterday in St. Scholastica, their three batter and their second pitcher we face is unbelievable. She's hitting 570. You know, she's just a good player no matter where you pitch her. You know, you don't want her to hurt you. You want to pitch to somebody else. So we had first and third, and we intentionally walked her. Put her on like, I want to face somebody else. Like, we'll set right. up a force. We'll get out of this inning. We are not going to let her beat us. So I think strategy-wise, coaches, and it's not necessarily getting smarter, really. It's just knowing where your strengths are. So, you know, when I used to play, we didn't intentionally walk anyone. We went after everybody the exact same way. Right. Like, our best versus your best, let go, let's go. And now it's more like, okay, like we watch video because that's so available. And we like know what we're getting before we get to the field and talk to players about it. Um, you know, for her, we played two steps back. We didn't want to be beat over our head. If she bloops it and she gets a single, to me, we won that at bat, right? We don't want a home run. We don't want a double. So there's just so much prep that goes into playing that I don't think used to happen because video wasn't available. You'd have to go to a field to see somebody play and see their swing and how they hit. You can, it changes every day, stats, this, that, the next thing, which as a student athlete, I can't imagine what that feels like either. Just being able to look up how you're doing, right? Because yeah. a lot of the times, probably how you feel is based off your numbers online, but they don't know how hard you're hitting the ball, right? Like they can't say, like, put the ball in play a lot, but I'm gay now. I hit the hardest ball of my life that went right to a glove. Um, so I just think that technology is changing the game a little bit, so we've adjusted to that. Well, analytics is such a part of the game now. Advanced scouting is like the buzzword now, especially at the pro level, and you're seeing it also in college. I mean, you can get spray charts and all this kind of stuff, on different hitters, but boy, it just seems like, I mean, you can break it down mechanically, not just where they're hitting it, like you said, how hard they're hitting it, what the exit velocity is. I mean, now you get in, in Major League Baseball, you're getting exit velocity now on, on the ball, even the bat. That never used to be I a never thing. knew it was a thing. Yeah. Like, like You would get the, well, the ball sounds differently coming off that bat, yeah, but yeah. That, that was it. That was so as close as you could mean? get. You yeah. couldn't quantify it. Yep. No one ever said, yeah, he hit that ball 120 point yeah. whatever miles per hour coming off the bat. Like that was not a thing. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't until, like, the early to mid-'90s that you started seeing radar guns mm -hmm. on guys. I mean, they had them, you know, when they would go to spring training and stuff. I mean, the, the teams would have them. But broadcasters never had that information. Mm -hmm. You would only have a range that they would give you. As to, he throws between 90 and 95 and all that kind of stuff. Now it's just, like, everything is broken down. Now you're talking down. about wins above replacement. Uh, yeah, yeah, now you're talking about these numbers that didn't exist back in the you day. You know what I heard the other day? I mean, Mookie Betts made an unbelievable catch in center field to end the Padres game. And they can have percentage of the probability that he catches that ball. It's, like, below 10% that a person makes that catch. I'm like, wow. I'm like, I've never heard that one before yeah. in my life. I guess, I mean. That's a brand-new number. But, but it's they, unbelievable. They started showing those commercials during NFL games in the last two years where they would have the difficult catch. And right. they would start from, like, a quarterback rolling out, the probability of a pass being completed to this guy, this guy, or this guy, this guy's catch radius, once the ball is thrown, the probability that he can get it at the top of his jump, and the numbers are staggering. There's just there's too many. Yeah, It's almost like analytics has kind of gotten out of a lot of control to me, in a way, just because like when I broadcast, I'm not looking at every single number out there. I mm -hmm. still give the very basic stuff that you give. Mm -hmm. Batting average, you know, maybe doubles if they're, you know, uh, you know relevant to the, to the particular mm -hmm. batter. Home runs and RBIs. I mean, because those are the numbers that we grew up with. Those are the ones that I still talk about when I broadcast. Um, like in basketball, I don't go through every single number because it would take you all day. 
And I feel like at a certain level, we're getting these numbers a little bit. There's too many of them now, you know. So I don't know how you feel about that, Coach, or you, Olivia, but it, I, like, how many numbers do you think goes into being a useful thing? And then before it starts to begin, well, it's just, this is too many numbers. Like, I, there, there's no reason for all of this extra stuff. Like, yeah, and they say the most dangerous thing you could do as a hitter is start thinking, right? So how much information do you give to a team before they, like, really start analyzing and then get what is it's like um, par- paralysis by analysis? Yep. Is that what the thing called? So I try to limit that. Like, here's the information we need to know. Now, I have everything, and that's how I'm making decisions behind the scenes. Right. But you need to know that these two people will seal, these three people can hit the ball far, and otherwise, like, let's go and play our game. Like, she'll start you in and out, like she has a change-up. So, I, and I don't know, obviously, what Liv likes to hear and not to hear, and everybody's completely different. Right. But I try not to give overpowering information, because at the end of the day, you got to go play your game. Right. You can have whatever you want but we all know that every day is different and how your swing looks, how you're feeling, all of that comes into it. So you still got to play no matter what numbers you have. Yeah. I imagine some of that though, is depends how you're going, right? If you're, if you're hitting the ball well, yeah, fire those numbers at me. That's fine. And if you're in a bit of a slump, then it's just too many numbers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, am I, am I right there? Yeah, you are. Um, I don't know. I prefer like just this person hits hard or like like (laughs) numbers just I love numbers don't get me wrong I was gonna be an accountant like I love numbers but too many numbers are dangerous and like paralysis by analysis like you just when that third batter was up it was like oh god like she she's gonna hit it here and she maybe hit one ball to the outfield like it, it was a little like disappointing almost because she didn't perform the way we had prepared. And I mean, props to the pitchers for that because that means they're doing something right. But as an outfielder, you're like, yes, this is a team that's going to hit. <laughs> and I had maybe like three yeah. in 14 innings. And so it was like, I mean, I did have three home runs over my head, but <laughs> nothing I could do about those ones. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and it, it, like those scouting reports, though, too, and you see this in the major leagues a lot, and I don't know if it'll become a thing, a thing in softball. I, I, everybody shifts now. Everybody's got a different shift for different hitters now. That never used to be a thing when I played, and it certainly was not a thing when I don't think John played either. It's like everybody lined up pretty much straight up. Like you didn't have shifting of the infield to the left or to the right, or the outfielders play way around. You'd move a few steps here and there. Yeah, yeah, but that's about it. But you're not going to bring your shortstop over to the right side. No, you're going to have your third baseman cheating all the way toward you know and leaving that huge hole up the line. Like that just did not happen. And so, I mean, in that regard, even as a fielder, it becomes like almost like how many different alignments do we have here? Like how many different alignments are we going to run here? Yeah, and I feel like softball is a little different because. And at least in Major League Baseball, like, they leave. It drives me nuts because they leave the left side open. If you just turn and bunt it, it's a base hit. And in softball, I feel like we'll take that base hit. Mm -hmm. I say it's a line drive in the book. What's the difference? Like, take the one base and get there. But, like, like in baseball, they're just still swinging for the fences, and they know they can hit home runs. But it's like, it's right there. They're they're trying to power right through the the game. Yeah, Yeah. you're losing the game by one. You also want to say that they're major leaguers. They can do all those things. How many of those guys really can't bunt? Yeah. 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 How many of them spend all their time just swinging away? Right. 
You know, and supposedly they work on it in spring training, but do they? I mean, do they do it for like more than a day? Base, I mean, the pitchers definitely do, right? That's like their thing. Right, if yeah. they know they're going to hit, they're out there in the cages just bunting, bunting, bunting. Right. And I sometimes to me, like you see that big hole, and I, I you especially see it with power hitters, that they're constantly shifting from left to right. There's so many holes on that left side. I just I can't believe that they don't try to go that direction with the swing. You know, like that. But some of that is strategic too from the pitcher. Yeah. If you got your shift yeah. over here, you're going to bust them in. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to give them anything out yeah. over the plate where they can go the other way. That's true. That's also true. And so I mean, it, it's kind of a, a, a all in, you know, it's it's kind of like a domino falling effect. Like we're going to shift this way because this is a spray chart, but we're also the pitcher is going to throw inside because the catcher is going to know he's going to look in the dugout. You know, the pitching coach and also, you know, the, the, the bench coach is also going to be signaling in, like, what we need to be doing. Mm-hmm. You know, that to me, that gets to be too much going on all at once because now you've got 15, you know, things going at once. And I like what, what you said, Liv, about the fact that I just want to know if she's going to hit it hard and hit it deep, like, into what side she prefers yeah. to hit it hard. Is she a pull hitter or does she use the whole field? Because then I'm going to cheat. Maybe that will depend on how deep I play and how many steps I'm going to take to my left or my right. And that's it. See, because the rest of that would have gotten way too confusing for me. And, John, I think you're in the same. It's just like this is, there's way too much game planning going on here. So I was a catcher. <laughs> me too, yeah. <laughs> I, I was also a catcher. Gaps. Because I, I liked it when I was an athlete. I liked it keeping it as simple as possible. Just let me know the very basic things I need to know about this particular hitter. He hits it hard and it goes a long way and he'll hit to the whole field. Okay, everybody be on your toes. That's, <laughs> you know, that's. That was what basically it was. Mm-hmm. This guy's a pull hitter. Okay, well, you know, sharp, sharpen up left side if it's a you know right sided hitter. You know, just little things like that was what me and John grew up with. You know, or this guy, he's gonna try to pound out, pound it out on the infield and then beat it out because he's fast. So everybody in the infield be be ready. You know, let's mm-hmm. be honest. The level that I played baseball at, it was if the ball hits the bat, it's gonna go someplace. <laughs> yeah. There, well, wasn't, yeah, there I, wasn't a lot of advanced scouting in Minnesota high school baseball. No, but even if you had gotten to, like, to the high school level, though, and even in the college, I'm not sure how many game plans there are. I mean, you, you know, the coaches have all the spray charts and all that kind of stuff. But, again, I liked what you said, coaches, that I have all that information, but I don't want them to know. They don't have to know all that. Mm-hmm. I'll identify what we need to really know. <laughs> yeah, it's like Liv said, like, don't want to set them up also to – I have no idea what's going to happen. Like, the best hitter on the team can go over. Like, a hitter that's hitting 100 can all of a sudden have five hits. So you don't want to give them too much that it's like, all right, cool. Like, And we do not do that. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, like, Liv makes the outfield look easy, and it's not. Like, she gets to some stuff, and I'm like, oh, it's a hit. I'm like, oh, my gosh, Liv's behind it. Like, how did that happen? Right. Um, but I don't want them to be like, okay, they just hit ground balls. Like, I can take it easy. I don't have to worry about it. Like, no, you never know. Like, we have to be on our toes. Same yeah. thing with bunts, like, all that stuff. It, it Hopefully they'll surprise us and, you know, do something that we're not sure about and we make a great play, but you just have to play at the end of the day. Just play the game that you're playing in college because you love it and you're very talented at it. So, Do you really embrace kind of the small ball idea? Because I feel like a lot of softball is very like strategic and almost like sometimes robotic with certain teams that don't have a lot of pop. Mm-hmm. Like as soon as somebody gets on base, they're going to sacrifice them over. So everybody's going to cheat in on the corners, you know, stuff like that. Do you prefer that approach, or are you one of those that likes to let them swing away if they can? I think it depends where we are in our order, what I know the game's going to be like. You know, if I think that if their pitcher gives up, like, 10 runs a game, I might be more inclined to let them swing away. If their pitcher gives up two runs and this is our opportunity, we might square around and bunt. Um, But it just depends. 
and you know, Liv being a slapper, usually I let her decide for herself unless like I really want to bunt because like we need to move this runner, we need to run whatever it is. So, and we have people that take advantage of a third baseman being back, and we talk about that. So it's letting them play and figure things out too. I always say I don't want to coach robots. Like I want them to learn the game and love the game and get to play because it's more fun that way. For like us to talk about something at practice and then it happens is like, oh coach, like look what happened, you know? And we were in a slap defense the first game of the year. It's so funny. We had just practiced that practice, but Liv had to cover because of our slap defense on a steal at second base. And she had never done that before. And we had what just practiced it, I think yep. the night before. And all of a sudden the situation pops up. So our and the girl steals. And the girl steals and our center fielders now at second base, like, you know, being Got able her to put out. the tag on. Got, Got her out. out. Ah, she did. There you go. She did. Paying attention to practice. We like that exactly yeah. but if we had just gone over like the basics and like this is what happens here and this is what happens here no we talked about it she could see that there's a runner at first base she knew she had to cover and she got there so just teaching the game to me is what you need to do and then let the players play let's shift gears just a little bit here because uh, senior day coming up and it you is. are one of the seniors you mentioned you were going to be an accountant yes so we are not going to be an accountant. What are we? What are we hoping to be then? Where are we going? Uh, I'm an elementary ed major with a special ed minor. So, either a special. A little different from accounting. Oh yes, kids now, not yes. adults. Not adults with money. That was my <laughs> biggest. Like, my mom's an accountant. My aunt's an accountant, and I thought this is what I want to do. I loved going to work with them, and then it was like no. I don't like adults, actually. It was like, well, I like adults. Let me rephrase that. I don't like dealing with adults with money when it's like tough times, you know, whatever. Kids are easier. Kids, you can tell them the sky's green and they're going to believe you. Like, they're fun. And each day is a different day. And you get new experiences with kids. And that's what I want to do. So, yeah, a teacher. But when your kid comes up to you and says, Liv, the sky's green. How are you going to respond to that? Are you going to give them the no, it's blue? Or because my kid will come up and tell you green. No. So you're going to crush his dream that the, the sky isn't green? I think it depends on the age. <laughs> okay. Like if Fair. they're going into third grade and they say the sky's green. No, honey, the sky's blue now. Like, But at like kindergarten, even before that, like you need to foster that imagination and like let them just believe what they want before you shape them into the fine adult that they should be. <laughs> what if they come up to you and say birds aren't real? We are going to research that. <laughs> we're we're going to have a debate and good drop in, Good drop in. <laughs> I will say this, like, and I say this having worked with the after school program with the kids. One of the things that I find with them is that it's really interesting to see how they mature. Like kindergarten, first grade, second grade, they're a little bit more like, that's that color, that's this color, blah, blah, blah. You get, when they get in the fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, they start asking questions like, why is the sky blue? Instead of, the sky is green. No, the sky is blue. Why is the sky blue? And that's when it starts getting interesting because then they're, now they're asking questions like, why is the sky blue and not green? You know, so that's an interesting thing. And that's hopefully something that you'll experience, be able to experience as you go along. That's one of the things that I've learned in my two years of working with the after-school programs is that they start to get a little bit more intellectually curious about why things are the way they are, not necessarily what they are. You know, they start to accept that, that this is just what it is. The sky's blue. 
water looks blue, but it's not. It's actually clear. Why does it look blue then? Blah, blah, blah. And then you go down why everything looks the way it does. All these questions that I have to come up with answers for now. Oh, no, you have Google. <laughs> yeah, well, Google it, Teddy. Google that it. Commercial. Yeah, Alexa. Yeah, the commercial. Alexa? The, yeah, the yeah. Alexa that he's, like, in Pompeii or trying to figure out. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, like, that's all. You I'll just tell you guys a funny. We have the Hey Google in the... In the dining room. There so. you go. I, will, I will tell you guys a funny He's story. learned how to use it, yeah. so he'll he'll scream at breakfast. He'll scream like, hey, Google, baby, baby shark. shark. Oh. Yeah. I, I and will all of a sudden, baby shark starts playing. You'll, you'll be in the other room, and they start hearing yeah. that song come My on. nephew went through that as well. Yeah. But I will tell you a little funny anecdote with one of the first graders that we have. In our, and this was totally one of those moments where you go, <laughs> this is a, a, the 21st century kid. Like, this is this is where we are now. Because um, we had our, our our age groups go from K to five, and this was a first grader, and she was busy doing some art, and she was drawing with some uh, charcoal, a, a stick of charcoal, and she's drawing away, and she's going along, and all of a sudden she lost her focus, and she was sitting on a picnic table doing this art, and with a bunch of wood chips around it, like in a sitting area, she drops her charcoal, and she can't find it, and she was literally walking around saying. Siri, where is my charcoal? Oh my gosh, that's amazing! <laughs> she walked around saying, "Siri, where?" Like she was asking Siri to tell her where her charcoal was. Oh, and this gosh. is such a like. I thought to myself, "This is such a thing." Like, <laughs> wow, <laughs> this a, is a first grader who was asking Siri to find her charcoal that she a, just dropped. <laughs> what a great world when you never again have to say, "Look it up in the dictionary." That's why I don't know the definition of anything. That's all I ever heard. What does this mean? I don't know. Look it up in the dictionary. Too well, much work. No yeah, thanks. no, no thanks. Thanks. Just ask Siri where so. it is. That's it. It's, it's, so it's Siri. it's Siri. Where's yeah. my charcoal? Wow. <laughs> Thankfully, she did actually find it after we looked for a while. But it was, <laughs> she was literally walking around, and we were trying not to laugh. The staff was just. <laughs> Oh, you can't laugh at that? I would be like, well, that's it's amazing. because you don't want her to you feel can, bad. But they're going to ask you to come to Human Resources the next day and bring well, everything. Well, you're not. It's just like you. to me, it's not laughing at her. It's like laughing at uh, the amazing situation. How adorable that is that she's asking her, like Siri out loud outside where the charcoal is. Not her, not making fun of her, but no. I mean, but then you get the other moments, and this same kid, like three days earlier, had been yelling at the wood chips because she was mad they weren't flying. Like, why are you not flying? Which, like, she was literally yelling at the witches. See chips to the fly. imagination you're talking so about. So you, it's just like it's the combination of things that you see, and like, they pick up those little things, and that's what I think makes kind of like working with that age bracket interesting. So it'll be interesting to catch up with you in a few years and see what you think oh, once yeah. you get your teaching jobs. <laughs> I'll come back for your two hundredth episode. Oh, outstanding! Wow. Mark that down, there Elliot. Two hundredth episode. Two hundredth so episode. We'll see you in about six years. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll be well into my career then. <laughs> yeah. She'll be able to answer those questions more right. and more. There we can bring those up some more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Coach Fracker, Olivia, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having us. We're going to take a break. We'll come back with more of the Eye of the Swarm right after this. Orkers Island Inn is now hiring, and there's a position just for you. Apply for front desk, housekeeper, bartender, server, cook, and dishwasher. We're hiring great people like you. Call or click for more information and apply today. We're back for our final segment of this week's I Have the Swarm, and that was a, you know, I. <laughs> that was a rabbit hole not, conversation. I'm not bit. exaggerating when I say the lead up conversation to us actually recording was tremendous it was it was tremendous i thought that was a good talk too i mean I, <laughs> no i'm not taking yeah. anything away from that 
But the lead up was fantastic. Oh, the lead up was fantastic. There's a lot of good B roll there. Oh my goodness. Yeah, we went into some <laughs> things that I was not expecting. What's you know, what's the most overplayed song in your opinion? What's that song that you just right. absolutely can't stand The nineteen eighty six Mets, the Subway the 1986 Series. Mets, the Subway Series, Clemens versus Piazza. I mean it it really went a lot of it went a lot of different directions. It was fun. It was fun. It, it was, was good fun. talk. I feel like Coach Fracker and her team, though, they're like the right ones to bring in for that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just do. I, 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 and I think some of that, though, is she's a really good conversationalist. Oh, yeah. And I think because of her – we talked about this the first time she was on the show. Right. Her her history background, because she's a, really into history. She was a history major. Right. You know, you and I both enjoy history yep. a great deal. And I, I think with her background in history, it just – prepares her to go so many different directions oh, it totally in a does. conversation. It totally does. And she's highly educated. Mm-hmm. She's articulate. That's the best part about it all is that you, when you get somebody that is that willing to talk, it just makes our jobs that much easier and yep. it's so fun. And Olivia was good too. Yeah. You know, absolutely. I wasn't quite sure what to, what to expect from her, but I think that that intro conversation, the B-roll, quote-unquote B-roll that we had, Really put her at ease. I mean, she even I, said so after. Yeah, she when we were done, she said that it loosened her up a little bit, and you know, I, I think you hit it perfectly. Is it's not a a forty five minute interrogation. No, it's a, not an interview. It's no. a conversation. It is. It, it totally is, and that's that's the fun part of a round table. Right, is that it is a conversation. It isn't one person or two people asking one person to answer everything. Right, it's four people conversing back and forth yep. and sharing different ideas. And we went down the road of some different ideas today. We did. Yeah. I, I liked we, it, though. We, I thought it was, I, I thought it was great. I mean, yeah. I, we, we would have done Roy Firestone proud. Let's put it that yes, way. Yes, we would have. <laughs> Nobody cried. But <laughs> we have yet to have a crier on Yeah, that, we've yet to the, have somebody swarm, emotionally but, break you know, down. Give us some time because we've already locked ourselves in for 200 episodes, apparently. <laughs> well, the way we're going, we might be the ones crying before you know it. I mean, the two hosts might finally lose it eventually. Uh, you mentioned earlier, though, Matt, a busy week coming up. It is. It's a busy week coming up. Uh, we'll go through the schedule quickly here. Uh, some at home, some away, but uh, there is a busy schedule coming up, so we'll get through this as quick as possible. Um, this week, we'll go with women's soccer first. They're uh, next on the road Saturday, taking on UW-River Falls in an exhibition game. Uh, that'll be a 2 p.m. start down in River Falls, and then they'll be taking on St. Scholastica this coming Tuesday, 8.30 p.m., so a late start. 8.15, the pregame with yours truly, uh, 91.3. That figures to be a Pretty competitive contest, uh, at least. It's you know, a pretty important one. Yeah, with some it is. Postseason ramifications. You look at number two. one, number two seeds more than likely mm-hmm. in the conference tournament, and it also, of course, is the bridge battle. So yep. you sprinkle that one in there, and it's got uh, some fun possibilities. I mean, but you're basically setting the table for whoever wins this is going to be the one. Yep, pretty much. Essentially. Yep, yeah. If the Jackets can somehow uh, find a way to get the win, uh, they would probably be the number one seed. If Glasgow wins, they'll probably be the number one seed. Yep. Um, figure the Jackets will be home for a playoff game regardless, but. A little more spice to the rivalry this time. And with St. Scholastica moving on to the Mayak here coming up, uh, I think starting next year. Yep. Um, who knows how many more of these will be playing. So, Oh, I think you're always going to play them. Yeah, you know, but it just doesn't have quite it's the gonna same. It's going to lose some of that, that spice that you talk about because right. it's not going to be for anything aside from bragging rights. Right, exactly. So, um, you know, that makes it all that much more fun. But, again, 8.30 p.m., the start time there. I'll be on with the pregame at 8.15 uh, this coming uh, Tuesday on 91.3. So join us. So it should be a fun one. Under the lights. Yep, under the lights. Same story with men's soccer uh, this week. Tonight, by the way, they're playing at Northwestern. In fact, they'll be starting in less than an hour here, taking on the Eagles. Then on Saturday, they have a dandy of a game, non-conference, on the road, taking on Augsburg, 1 p.m. And the games between the Yellow Jackets and the Aggies over the years have been dandies. Really good. Yeah, really good games. Really so, good. 
Uh, that'll be an Two interesting good teams, time. two well-coached teams. Yep. You know, uh, I know the coaches are close friends. Yeah, Greg Holker and uh, from Augsburg, and of course our very own Joe Mooney are, are close buddies and have a lot of respect for each other. And those games are always very entertaining to watch. Uh, and then the Yellow Jackets will be home after those two road games, taking on Saint Scholastica the following night after the women's game uh, on Wednesday. So it'll be the Yellow Jackets under the lights. Yep, again at eight thirty p.m. eight fifteen the pregame with yours truly, and again the Yellow Jackets in the Saint Scholastica Saints meeting for what might be the final regular season time, or it will be. It would be. Before the uh, the Saints move on to the Mayak, uh, that'll probably again for, be for the number one, number two seed, like we talked about mm-hmm. with the women. So, two dandies Tuesday and Wednesday, both eight thirty starts, eight fifteen the pregame both nights. Women on Tuesday, men on Wednesday. So, should be fun. It'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope everybody else does too. Uh, as far as softball goes, who was just with us here for our roundtable segment of the podcast this week Saturday, they're taking on Crown one and three p.m. I'll be on the air for those two games as well. Second time that the Yellow Jackets will have seen the storm. This season, they took two from the Storm at the Dundas Dome earlier in the year. So this will be, like I said, the second matchup between the Yellow Jackets and the Storm. 12.45, the pregame as the Yellow Jackets go for a doubleheader against Crown. And then on Tuesday, they'll be playing a makeup date against Northland College, 3.30 and 5.30 p.m. That'll be at the MC Spartan Sports Complex. So you're going to have three women's athletic events taking place up at the high school. Uh, 3.30 and 5.30 against Northland in softball, and then the 8.30 game against St. Scholastica. So if the weather is nice, head on out. Oh, I hope it's nice. <laughs> <laughs> to watch softball. Uh, yeah, because that's going to be a long day for you regardless. It's going to be a long day, but those uh, those night soccer matches. They get pretty quiet. They, they, they get can quiet. get chilly. They get pretty chilly. They yes. get chilly. So yeah. hopefully hopefully we have some decent weather and no wind that day. Yeah, exactly. That's what we're hoping for. Uh, going to baseball, uh, they are off until Sunday at Minnesota Morris. They have a doubleheader there, 1.30 and 4 p.m. And then on Wednesday, so this coming Wednesday, they'll also be on the road at Wade Stadium this time, though, so locally taking on St. Scholastica for a doubleheader, 1.30 and 4 p.m. there. So a pair of conference doubleheaders for the Yellow Jacket baseball team coming up both on the road here as they try to get back on track. Men's and women's tennis are coming right down to the end of their season, so they're super busy. So hold on for this because this is going to be a quick run-through of what the schedule is. The women are playing this afternoon as we record this on a Thursday against St. Scholastica, 4 p.m. to start at the UWS Outdoor Tennis Complex. In fact, that's, I think, where me and John are going to go right after this is over. Uh, then they are Sunday at Minnesota Morris with a 1 p.m. start, and then Wednesday versus Northwestern at 4 p.m. That's the women's side of things. So they have three matches coming up here in the coming days. The men, meanwhile, at St. Olaf on Saturday in a non-conference match. That's 11 a.m. down in Northfield, Minnesota. Sunday at Minnesota Morris at 1, and Wednesday again against Northwestern at 4 p.m. And that closes out the regular season for them. So, and I don't know what the postseason format is. What is it? Do you know? I believe I think these have all changed so much. I believe it's the top five. Okay. You have a five, a four versus five winner that goes to one, and then two plays three. Both teams are going to make it. Yeah, both teams will be in. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that's how it is. But, you know, there's that part of me going, well, wait a minute. Now, for soccer, they adjusted that where everybody gets in. Volleyball had everybody get in. Right. Basketball had everybody get in. Um, but I don't think that's affecting baseball, softball, okay. and tennis. Okay. All right. So that's what's but coming I up for tennis. Both remember. teams have three matches between now and Wednesday of next week. So it's going to be busy for them. Uh, men's and women's golf this week. The men are at the Martin Luther Spring Invite, hosted by Martin Luther at the New Ulm Country Club in New Ulm today, along with the women, by the way. Both teams are there. And then Saturday and Sunday at the SJU Spring Invitational, hosted by St. John's at the Monticello Country Club. The women, as I mentioned, are also playing 
at the Martin Luther Spring Invite that has been going since 10 a.m. this morning. They will be in action on Sunday at the UW Eau Claire Quadrangular, hosted by Eau Claire at the Wild Ridge Golf Club. That's the second time I think that the Yellow Jacket women have played that course. Is that correct? Right? Yeah. Yep. So they're getting another look at the Wild Ridge Golf Club. That will be on Sunday again, the UW Eau Claire Quadrangular. And last but not least, men's and women's track and field. They're both at the Drake Alternative, hosted by St. Mary's in Winona, Minnesota, on Saturday. So they will be back in action on the road in Winona on Saturday. And that's what's coming up this week with the Yellow Jacket Athletics. Um, quite a few road contests in there, but also some home ones sprinkled in there. And You know, and it's it's balancing out a little bit. And I, I made reference to it last week that we right. had a stretch from the, the opening faceoff of that women's hockey game on January 26th to last Wednesday, it was 56 home events right, yeah. in that stretch. And I, I remember remarking to somebody that I feel like all of our games are at home right now. Yeah. And now I feel like everything is being played away from home as some of that starts to balance out a little right, bit. Because yeah. we got really heavy in February, March, right. and the early part of April, and now it seems like it thins out a little bit. Yeah, it does. I mean, and, you know, with, with track and field, it's a little bit different because they can compete anywhere. And they don't have any home meets in the outdoor area. Of course, in the indoor area, they do host usually a couple meets right. at home. But with the outdoor, they are on the road all the time. So they're never home. Golf has a chance, quote-unquote, a chance to host at Namaji, But I don't think we have anything scheduled, do we? Not home? for spring, no. Not for spring, mm-hmm. no. So those teams are away. And then you've got baseball and softball that are at home and men's and women's soccer that are at home. Um, figure that. And, you know, and, it's, and it seems like those teams have been home a lot. Yeah. And part of it, yeah, they have. Right. But they're, they're also, there was no spring trips this year. Right. So yeah. all those, those non-conference games that they would play in Florida or Arizona are all being played here this year yeah. because of the turf fields that we have access to. Right, exactly. And that makes it that much easier. Um, you know, men's and women's soccer are coming up to the very end of their schedules, by the way. They're coming up. They've got, Everybody is. Yeah, and I think that— It's May next week. After the Scholastica games, I think there's one game on the schedule left for both the men and women in soccer, and it's at Northland. Mm-hmm. So it's not a long road trip. And then the playoffs, and they're both going to probably be home. Right. At least for one, perhaps two, and especially in the men's case. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's going to be some home events coming up as well. We're not saying that, you know, the home events are all done for the year, but— um, yeah, there'll be a few home events between now and uh, probably the end of May is what we're thinking, right? Because I think that's when the tournaments end, at least for... Yeah, the third week of May is when the baseball championships are, and that's okay. That's essentially the end of it. And circling back to the tennis, as I, lo- I, just, I wanted to look it up before we left, uh, seven team tournaments, seven plays two, six plays three, five plays four, with one getting a So bye. the top seven get in. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah, yep. the Jackets will be in both, and there's a good chance they'll be hosting too. Um, or maybe, yeah, if possibly. They, if they finish in that, well, not necessarily. Well, the men might. Well, yeah, they, they, with it being formatted the way it is in a seven-team tournament, yeah, there's probably a pretty good chance they're going to get something at home. Yeah, so there might be, you know, and depending on whether they could be indoor or outdoor, depends on a lot of different things. So there's things to come up. Yeah, but, there's uh, there's plenty of fluidity. Yeah, so, but uh, that's what's coming up this week. Uh, so if you get a chance to go out and you know, check out the L Jackets, especially the outdoor events, mm-hmm. uh, do so. If not, you can check in uh, with softball and both soccers with me. I'll be on the air on 91.3, and John will be there in living color doing everything behind the scenes. So well, trying to. <laughs> you know, how many hats can you wear during one game? We'll <laughs> right, find <yeah>. out. <laughs> but that's what's coming up, and uh, looking forward to it. Good episode today. Yeah, very good, I think. For we'd like to thank our guest, Melissa Fragger from the Yellow Jacket softball team, the head coach and senior Olivia Bancroft Hart, our production engineer, Elliot Swery. He's the big sound, Matt Johnson. I am John Garber, and thank you for once again tuning in to Eye Out the Swarm. Mm-hmm.